Okay, Nick Pitts is going to talk to us today. There's a little bit about Nick right there on the screen. He's here. Um, you can read about it. He really, you know, if you've ever heard Jim Dennison talk about how Christians should be involved in the world, especially political things, organizations, and whatnot, then Nick's doing that at the end. I like it. I came out of corporate America. He's head of public relations, communications, and Atmos Energy reports to the CEO there. So there's a Christian person embedded into a publicly traded company and doing a good job, I think, because y'all have had some issues. <laughs> and being where I came from, these guys are on call 24-7, 365. And when that, C when that CEO calls, he better answer his phone. Yeah. Uh, so you're getting married, right? Yeah. Who's your, what's your bride's name? When is that? When is that wedding? Fifty-one days. Wow! Congratulations. So the chapel. There's a wedding gift for y'all, from your, from her registry, because this is for her. There's a little envelope here for you, okay? From the from the church treasurer. Thinking about you getting married and stuff, we probably should have made this for more. We appreciate you coming out. Here's Nick Pitts. Thanks. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I don't know what y'all have done to have to put up with me, um, but um, uh, but I consider me exceedingly grateful for the chance to be here with you all again today. Um, I've always heard it said that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, uh, right? Um, and so I would tell you that I've made God laugh quite a bit in my life. Um, I am originally from Tennessee, so you're welcome for Davy Crockett, um, and uh, thank you so much for the Tennessee Titans, but never in my wildest dreams would I envision being out here in Texas. I remember my first day in Fort Worth before I moved to Dallas, I was listening to the radio 95.5 The Wolf, and it said I'd rather be a fence post in Texas than a king in Tennessee, and I vehemently disagreed with that and still to this day do. Titans are going to win the Super Bowl uh, this year. They should have won last year. Definitely should have won in 2000 versus the Rams. That's neither here nor there. Um, I still don't understand why you believe it to be true that beef is better than pork when it comes to barbecue. I think there's a reason why God forbid us from eating pork. It's because he knew we'd worship it. Um, and so uh, there's just always this bent inside of me. I just think Tennessee is better than Texas, but I love being here in Texas now. Can't, wouldn't change it for the world. The reason why I'm out here in Texas is because graduate school uh, brought me out here. Um, and never in my wildest dreams or my plans would I have thought I'd go to graduate school. I almost failed kindergarten due to excessive talking. I did fail my driver's test due to talking and not studying, and now somehow I got a graduate degree. It's not lost on me though that my grandfather, two generations back, only doesn't even have an eighth grade uh, completed education. His father had a stroke, and being the man that he was, decided to drop out of school to help support his family. And two generations later, uh, here I am. This grad degree has changed my name, quite literally. Um, 
And I will tell you that I never in my wildest dreams would have thought I would have been single still at 33. <laughs> you know? My grandmother would say the reason why is because I worked too much at the time. My mom would say I was too picky. And my little brother, true to form, would say that young Nick liked little Debbie a little too much uh, <laughs> growing up. Um, but all of that changed on a particular day a couple of years ago. Namely, I'd like for us to remember the 21st night of September. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire said it, but I'd like to share with you a little bit more about that 21st night of September. Um, I had, it was a Saturday, um, and I had just gotten through with a long night of work um, on that Friday night before on the 20th, and I flew into Nashville, Tennessee, um, where I was going to be, I was going to be a third wheel on a date with my uh, roommate and his girlfriend at the time. I was exhausted. I had worked until midnight on that Friday night, was flying in early Saturday morning to go to the Vanderbilt uh, LSU game and then a Keith Urban concert. Uh, I had an extra ticket um, uh, and, my, uh, and so my uh, roommate and his girlfriend, I was joining them and then his girlfriend said, well, I have this old college roommate in Nashville that might like to go. The only reason why she was going is because she wanted to check out this new boyfriend, which was my roommate at the time. But for some strange reason, she ended up going. Um, we, uh, as we met in an establishment in Nashville called Losers, which is essentially my home. Um, uh, uh, I, uh, Losers is just, it feels very right to somebody like me uh, that lacks athletic talent and is about as fast as a 56K modem. But that's neither here nor there. And so we met there before we would go off to the concert. And when we would go off to the concert, I would begin to have, uh, just start uh, chatting up Lauren uh, was who I found out she was, her name was. You know, interestingly enough, Lauren and I, uh, but she went to SMU, I was at DBU, I lived in Dallas, and while I was studying at a Starbucks uh, trying to finish up my PhD degree, uh, she also frequented that Starbucks, little did we know, and, but she was studying for her CFA exams at the time. Isn't it so interesting? all those times that we were both studying, dreading all that is life and studying, and we were just right there. Um, rewind back a little bit further, and I was continuing to chat her up, and I found out that her dad went to medical school at Vanderbilt. Well, funny enough, my neighbor growing up in Clarksville, Tennessee, the last train to Clarksville, uh, he, uh, my neighbor in Clarksville, Tennessee, also went to Vanderbilt University. Well, come to find out, they just happened to grow up together as well. And little Lauren used to drive up uh, to Clarksville and hang out at the house with their families. And lo and behold, she always wondered who the next door neighbor was because they had a trampoline in their backyard, probably with little Debbie wrappers all around them. And lo and behold, on that 21st night of September, still wondering in my plans why I was still single, that all I knew is the good gift that God was going to give me to allow me to marry, the love of my life, had been right under my nose my entire life. Literally, she's 4'10". <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? 
that God was working in those moments. You know, John Piper has this quote, and he likes to say that God is working in tens of thousands of ways all around us, yet we're only aware or one or two of them. And how encouraging could that be for some of us today to know that we're in a place right now where we need to know and need to take heart that God is working. Because we came here this morning, and we need to know that God hasn't given up on us. We need to know that God has energy for us because we're just in a place that we're exhausted. We need to know that right now in this place that God has a plan for us because we just feel like we're aimlessly wondering what's the next step I need to take. We need to know that God loves us in this moment because it seems as though he's so distant from us. The reality is God, as it says in Psalm 145, is closer than the shade on our right hand. And though we may only be aware or one or two of the ways that he is close, he is working in tens of thousands of ways all around us. You know, the, uh, Jesus tells this story in Matthew 14. In Matthew 14, it's a pretty familiar story that many of us are probably acquainted with. We've probably read multiple times. It's Jesus and the, the, the thousands of loaves. Uh, Jesus providing a meal for 5,000 people. And I'd like for us just to consider anew this story. Uh, in Matthew 14, Jesus, it says, has just come back and just heard word that John the Baptist uh, his head has been cut off because of Herod the king. One of the fascinating things we know to be true is that when Jesus heard this news, it said that he withdrew to a desolate place. Um, we need to know the context of why would Jesus draw away from a desolate place when he heard that an individual's head had been cut off? Because this was Jesus's dear friend. This was the individual that when Jesus was in the womb of Mary, that Jesus would literally jump in the womb knowing that John the Baptist was also close by in the womb of Elizabeth. This is the man when Jesus uh, met John the Baptist, he, was a, he would say that this is the greatest man to ever walk this earth. And when he heard the news that John the Baptist had been beheaded, what did Jesus do? He withdrew to a lonely place, to a desolate place. You know, Jesus is just like us sometimes when we hear the news of the passing. He needs time to process. You know, I, I would highly recommend an article to you all that was just published in this month's Atlantic. We're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 here in a few weeks. And in this month's Atlantic, there is a story about a family that lost one of their sons in the Twin Towers bombing. It's a gripping tale of this family that had to endure trauma and how they're trying to process that trauma even 20 years later. The father has taken himself to trying to figure out what are the last moments of his son and what's the reason and the motive behind these individuals that, that decided to fly planes into the World Trade Centers. The mother has just decided that she has withdrawn the traumatic experience has caused her to draw away and to really be desolate. 
just to be by herself and embittered in a moment. But it's fascinating because there's this anecdote and illustration in the article that I thought was so illuminating by a college professor of psychology. And what the professor says that trauma impacts all of us in a variety of ways, but it's like we get to the top of a mountain, all our bones are broken, and we are desperately trying to find a way back down, each in our unique ways. Trauma impact, hurting, suffering is unique to each and every one of us, but is applicable to all of us. We all have those moments. We feel like we've been on the top of a mountain and we're just trying to find a way down. Jesus, when he hears the news of John the Baptist, decides to withdraw to a desolate place. But what happens with Jesus? What we see with Jesus is that when he withdrew, he has compassion. Why? Because people are following after him. He's trying to be alone. People are following after him. And what the text tells us in verse 14 of Matthew 14 is that Jesus began to heal them. In his moment of exhaustion, Jesus has compassion. Jesus isn't like us. You know, uh, one of the fascinating ways that we can find out about exhaustion and compassion is that our our brain uh, handles stress, our brain handles worry um, in the prefrontal cortex, according to research. And they say that it's a part of the working memory is what it taxes. When you're, in, when, you're endure, when you're enduring stress, when you're enduring worry, it, 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 it takes up a lot of that working memory in the prefrontal cortex. Research indicates that it's kind of like you're being hoodwinked in that moment. You're not able to, what the, what the text says, to take perspective taking. It just causes you to myopically focus on that moment. But what does Jesus do? Jesus, being like us, but being divine, decides to heal these individuals, decides to reach out and to help these individuals to the extent that there was a crowd that was gathering around him. You see, this beautiful moment that we're seeing here is that Jesus just doesn't care about our salvation. He also cares about our situations as well. Jesus doesn't stop caring for you when you make a decision for him. Each and every moment, each and every day, Our God is passionately following after us, desiring to be able to bear our burdens, as it says in 1 Peter 5. He's the one that asks us in Philippians 4 to cast all our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. We're following after a Jesus that just doesn't care about our salvation at the end of the aisle with the decision that we make, but the situations that we find ourselves in moment by moment, day by day. To the extent that even it says in verse 15 that there comes a point when all disciples, all the healing that's happened, it comes to that moment in the day when it's time for dinner. It's time for a meal to be had. And what did the disciples do? The disciples say, Jesus asked them to depart so that they can go into town and they can figure out what their meal is going to be. 
But in the first instance in recorded history, what we find out is that there is a disagreement over food. There is a moment where the disciples are asking Jesus to send these people out so that they can go get a meal. And then what does Jesus say? Have them depart from me not, it says in verse 15. I don't know about you, but I can relate with this disagreement over food. The, the idea that when the meal comes, someone asks, where are we going? What's for dinner? What's for lunch right now? Many of you are looking at me right now and saying, you're keeping me from brunch right now. What are you doing? When is this going to be over? And in my thinking, it's kind of fallen in three particular categories for me when it comes to meals. You really have to go through three things. One, being here in Texas, I've realized that really it, it, the Mexican food takes up approximately 70% of our meals, um, I've realized, or maybe it's just me. And so you have to decide which Mexican restaurant you're going to eat at. And inevitably, this raises the question of, do you go to the place that has the good queso, or do you go to the place that has the good guacamole? In my mind, it's very clear. Guacamole is for healthy people. That's, um, it has the avocado. I mean, it's, it's very healthy. And so if you want to feel good about yourself, you go. And even though you're going to eat an inordinate amount of chips, but it's got guacamole. So it makes it, it, makes it good. Um, it's healthy for you. Or do you get the queso, to go to the place with the good queso? The remind, queso is a reminder of God's goodness and grace in this broken world. It is just a shining light in a bowl that we can taste and see and know that God is good. <laughs> and that's why I go to Torchy's. <laughs> it is so, Torchy's <laughs> kicks it up a notch and then they put meat in there <laughs> and they put guac to make you feel healthy. Um, so that's the first category. The second category would be, do you go to the familial, familiar place or do you go to a new place? I don't know about you, but I grew up in Clarksville, Tennessee. Clarksville's great for a variety of reasons. It's small town, it's, my, it's where all my family's from, but every restaurant in Clarksville is a familiar place because there's not a lot of restaurants in Clarksville. Um, but in Dallas, I've found out there's a lot of new places you can go. But sometimes you gotta risk it to get the delicious biscuit. You gotta figure out, am I willing to venture and try something new or do I want to go back to that place where I know I know exactly what I get to eat? I know exactly the appetizer. So you got to go with the familiar. Or do you go with something new? And then finally, the third place you got to figure out is are we going healthy today or are we going unhealthy? And that's just never a good place to be in. I just, I, um, I've realized like I, I just, I'm getting older. So I'm, I'm like getting older and realizing I got to start eating healthier. Um, and I, I just don't like it. Um, and so um, I'm begrudging to that. And so uh, in, this, in this instance, we can very much relate to Jesus because there's a disagreement as to where they're going to get food. And Jesus in that moment settles it. He's the one that makes the decision and he says, have them not depart from me. And what's so powerful about that is this. Jesus in that moment is wanting to work a miracle. Jesus in that moment is wanting to do something that they are not expecting. How many times have we limited what we think Jesus can do because we've put him in a box? We think we have to continue to go through the regular motions to be able to have something divine happen to us. 
You see, too often we want to try to confine God, but a lot of the times God is trying to woo us out to something fresh and something new. And the beautiful thing in this moment is Jesus doesn't say, well, you go get cleaned up before you get ready for the meal right here. The beautiful thing is he doesn't say, go and get the food ready, uh, go and bring in some food, and then I'm going to do something right here. What Jesus says is, bring what you have, and I'll do something that you can't imagine, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard the mysteries and the divine work that God wants to do. Some of us are in a place where we're tired, we're exhausted, we're wondering about next steps, we're worried, and the beautiful thing is we don't have to go do something for God. God wants to use what we bring to him, just as we are. And then finally, the text says that as as they brought the five loaves, as they brought the two fishes, Jesus says, I'm going to break the bread, I'm going to bless it, but while I break the bread and bless it and divide it up, what I want you to do is I want you to get them circled up because man is not meant to be alone and he wants them to eat in a, eat in a group together, eat in little groups together. There is nothing quite like breaking bread and eating food around a big table. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but there is something beautiful that happens um, when you get a great group of friends around and there's great food to be had. Um, um, but I, I will tell you, I have been extremely discouraged by looking at the numbers because the reality of the matter is there's a lot of food here in the U.S., but there's increasingly becoming a lack of community here. You know, 25 years ago, the average American had 3.7 friends. Friends would be individuals that if something significant were to happen to you, that you would be able to call out and and say that this is a person that you can confide in or relate to. That number has dropped down to 1.6 today. In 25 years, we've seen a precipitous decline in friendships. A Harvard study indicated that 40% of Americans would classify themselves as being lonely. If you're lonely, uh, the Harvard Health Study said, it's like smoking 15 cigarettes a day for your health outcomes. So loneliness isn't just a mental thing, it's also a physical thing as well. Uh, And the pandemic hasn't helped any of the matters whatsoever. The number has jumped of individuals that said when something significant happened to them, they would have no one to turn to. Outside of family, that number has jumped up to 60% of Americans would say they have no one to confide in, no one to talk to in these moments. And, and it's even impacting individuals as young as in high school as well. Um, uh, you know, there used to be a day in high school where there was a freedom to want to get a car and to be able to go take the high school sweetheart out on a date, right? Consider some of the statistics that we're seeing just in the past 21 years. Jean Twing out of San Diego State University, she measured using uh, GSS data that in uh, 2000, 84% of high school seniors said that they took an individual out on a date. Fast forward 
to 2018, that number had dropped down to 54%. What we're experiencing today here in the U.S. is a loneliness epidemic. Um, increasingly, there's individuals that have food to eat, but have no one to eat it with. And what do we know that's happening congruent with that? We're seeing upticks in suicides. We're seeing upticks in loneliness and dis the deaths of despair, as we've seen with the opioid epidemic. We're seeing individuals that are just hurting right now, individuals that are uncertain right now, individuals that may know the bread of life, but they do not have individuals that know and taste and see that God is life and to follow and live in community with him. No man is an island. But the beautiful thing about what Jesus points us to in this text is that not only does he want to provide the bread, but he also wants to call us to eat that bread in community. You know, um, the, the thing is that it's so beautiful about what's happening here is that there's communities that are forming to realize that no man is an island, even at the lake. That everyone was meant to be together, one with one another. And what, for those of you right now that maybe have come into this place hurting, confused, lonely, exhausted, what have you, desperate, know that the bread of life is pursuing after you, one, and two, knowing that he wants to put you in community. He wants us to eat together, to to speak the words of life to one another so that we might taste and see and know that he's good. And also to know that though ten, he's do working tens of thousands of things around us, we're only aware of one or two of them. And I'm living proof of that. Because after 529 calls and 15,279 minutes, I get to, on October 2nd, 2021, I get to proclaim God's faithfulness and his goodness to me by saying yes to the woman that I love. And, and he was working underneath my nose the entire way. And he's wanting to do the same for you as well. He's closer than the shade on your right hand. Don't turn him down. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you, and I thank you so much for this time that you've given us this morning. And I thank you for being the bread of life that provides us life and life to the fullest. I thank you for being the one that is in community, Father, Son, and Spirit, and calls us to live in community with one another, to encourage one another when we're down, to be a comfort to one another, Father, during the difficulty. And God, I ask you, Father, just to work. I ask you just to bless, Father. For those that are hurting, I pray that your spirit would come and be the, the cooling balm upon their souls. And I pray that you would just empower and help us to be sensitive to where we need to find our way back into community, Father, so that we can see you at work in and among your people. God, I love you, and I thank you, and I ask you just to bless these people as we leave this day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless y'all.